Thank you for listening to the weekly message from Trinity of Fairview. Here's Pastor Stacy Harris. Wow, man, that ought to be the prayer of our heart. Jesus, 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 just be the center of our lives individually, as our, of our existence corporately. Man, that is the secret to joy. That's what we've been preaching on these past few months now, is joyful living out of the book of Philippians. And we're there today again. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 4 down through verse 14 together today. And only got a handful of messages left this summer out of this series about living with joy. I want to remind you that it's our intended state by God. God intends for us to live with joy. And it's our decision on a daily basis whether we will or whether we won't. And what a song to lead into this message, for really, it's all about what you decide about Jesus Christ. It is all centered around Him. It's all about where you place Him in your life. I wrote this down. The joy of heaven should be the joy of our hearts. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. We must have Him, first of all. Chapter 1 taught us as our source. Chapter 2 taught us that we must have Christ as our single mind. We must allow His mind, His way of thinking, that servant attitude and stance to be the hallmark of our lives. Chapter 3 has taught us so far that we must have Him as our spiritual pursuit. Verse 10a is most certainly the key. Paul says that I might know Him. Paul's aim, and it should be our aim, is that he would know him fully and completely, everything about him. And it must be so if we are to have joy in our life. We've already seen verses 1 through 3 tell us that when he becomes our spiritual pursuit, he begins to define us. Verse 3a says that we are the circumcision. That means the covenant people of God. That means we are heirs today and joint heirs alongside Jesus Christ. And here's what we do. We worship in spirit, a threefold statement. We rejoice in Jesus Christ and no one else. And we place clearly no confidence in the flesh. This old flesh is a fickle thing. And it's a very powerful influence in your life. You know, I figured out that the only way I'm not going to eat a whole pack of double stuff Oreos is if they're not in my house. How many of y'all here? Hey, if they're in my house, beloved, I'm going to eat them. Why? Because this flesh is going to take control. And I'll walk by them three or four times, but not five, I'll tell you that. I'll get me a cold glass of milk, and I'll sit down, and I'll have the time of my life right in the flesh. And man, we see that we can't place confidence in this flesh, even in the, in the trivial matters of life, but in the matters of the Spirit, there's no way that we can place our confidence in our flesh. We also see today, and I want to look at this, using that statement to bridge into Paul's discourse, one of the most beautiful passages in all the Word of God. Today, when he becomes our spiritual pursuit, it begins to make a dynamic difference in our lives. It begins to make what I call a dynamic difference in our lives. Listen to what Paul says. He says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. Now, he just said, we don't place any confidence in the flesh. And he said, now, listen, I could. I could have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he has whereof he might trust in the flesh, he says, I more. In other words, there's nobody been on the level that I have been in in the flesh. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law. He says, I was a Pharisee concerning zeal. I persecuted the church. You know that well. 
touching the righteousnesses which is in the law, I was blameless. What a statement. But, with, but what things, he says in verse 7, were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. And yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I might win Christ, verse 9, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Here's our key phrase, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection, is that your heart's desire? And the fellowship of his suffering, is that your heart's desire? Being made conformable unto his death, if by any means at all I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Verse 12, not as though I had already attained, neither were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Verse 13, brethren, I count not, there's that reckoning again, myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, I reach forth unto those things which are before. Verse 14, and I press toward the mark. For the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Man, I have a wonderful opportunity every year when summertime comes around to participate in a few marriage ceremonies. Man, this past week was no exception. Got to participate in the, in the life-changing moment of a young couple. And man alive, I, I, through all these things, I, I, there is really something that you can't escape. And that is the bride and groom are often what I call nervous right before the wedding. It's my policy to go visit with the bride and pray with her in the party. And then go see the groom and pray with him and his, and his close folks. And man, I rarely walk in to either one of those places that they're not both what I would call nervous. Maybe a better word is, is anxious, beloved. It might be a better word, but they're on edge, needless to say. I heard one pastor tell a story of a particularly nervous bride on one occasion. He said, I walked in the room and she grabbed me by the hand and said, Pastor, I'm not going to be able to do this, not because I don't want to marry him, but I can't walk down that aisle with all those people looking at me. I, I can't stand, I, I'm scared half to death. I'm, I'm not going to be able to pull this off. He said, I gave her some advice. I said, honey, listen, you're not doing anything complicated today. You're doing a very simple thing. All you're doing is, is walking down an aisle, you're going to an altar, and you're going to meet him. That's all you're doing, going to meet the love of your life, the person that's swept you off your feet just when you start to get nervous. Remember, all you're doing is going down an aisle, you're going to an altar, and you're going to meet him. And man, she kept repeating that to herself in her mind. Whenever she would get nervous, she would bring it back up in her thought processes. The entrance time came. They swung the door open. She started in, and she thought, I'm not going to be able to do it. And she began to mutter the pastor's advice in her head. And man, before she knew it, she was saying it out loud with her mouth. And as she was walking down the aisle, everyone in the congregation was hearing her say with every step, I'll alter him. I mean, hey, I'll alter him. And man, she didn't know how much truth she was really speaking, did she, in that moment. And when you begin to pursue the Lord Jesus Christ, that truth comes to light in your life. He begins to alter you. Things begin to change in your life. 
Things that were old pass away, and things become brand new. Doesn't the Word tell us if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature? And old things pass away, and what? All things begin to become new in your life. And when you begin to pursue him, that gets ramped up, and everything begins to change in your life. There are five things, don't get nervous in this text today, that I want to skin out for you. Five new things that come about when you begin to place him as your spiritual pursuit in your life. Number one, I want you to see that first of all, we begin to have a new place of confidence. First of all, we begin to have what I call a new place of confidence in our lives. Verses 4 through 9 tell us this. It tells us that things will begin to change, that the old things that we counted on won't be so particularly good for us anymore, that we'll begin to rely on some brand new truths in our life. In these verses, Paul does what I call recount all the things in which he could boast, all the things which he had accomplished, all the, you mark this down, fleshly now, not spiritual, but all the fleshly confidences he relied on so deeply. He appeals to them in what I call two categories. First of all, he appeals to his lineage. He said, I had the right start. He said, man, I was circumcised on the eighth day. He said, I did it just right. From the very beginning, my mom and my dad were watching over me. I had the right start. Now, there's nothing wrong with a right start. I'm thankful in my life that my mama took me to church when I didn't know she was taking me to church. That's not something to despise in your life. Paul's saying, man, I can look back and say, you say you had a right start. I can say I started it just right. I was circumcised on the eighth day, the day I should have been. I came from the right stock. He said, man, I was from Israel. Jacob was my forefather. He's saying, if I look back in my heritage, not only did I have the right start, man, I came from all the right people. When you go back in my lineage, I wasn't just anybody. I came right directly down from all the right people. He said, I was of the right sect. He says, man, I was of the tribe of what he calls Benjamin. I came from the very right sect, not only the nation of Israel. Man, I was a part of of the most precious, most revered tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. I was there in the right sect. And he goes on to wrap it up and say, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He's saying, man, uh, regarding lineage, I had it all. I'm here to tell you today, you can't place any stock in your lineage in the spiritual realm. You can't. You can't place any confidence in where you came from. Let me ask you this. How many of y'all have a good godly heritage would lift your hand and say hey thanks be unto God for my mom and my dad and my granddad and my grandmom listen that's something you ought to praise the Lord for that you have that kind of heritage in your life but beloved I remember very well the day the Lord approached me and asked me a very pointed question son is this your daddy's faith or is it really yours and you see what he was saying to me is your lineage is fine it's all good that you came from that but what in the world are you doing with me in your life today. And beloved, we can't trust in where we came from. Paul appeals to lineage, but he also appeals to labor. He says, man, I was fundamentally sound. He said in relation to the law, how it worked in the knowledge of it, I was what they call a Pharisee. That means he had his theological doctorate. That means if you had a question concerning the Mosaic law, Paul's the kind of guy you went to to ask it because he knew it all. He had forgotten more than most folks knew. He's saying in relation to understanding the law, I was fundamentally 
fundamentally more sound than anybody. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees in reality. He says, man, I was a fanatic. You talk about committed to my religion. Listen, you know well, I went around with zeal persecuting the church. I'm preaching through Acts on Wednesday nights, and we see that Paul said, that Luke said of Paul, he went around from house to house, dragging out every man and every woman he could and throwing them in jail, ultimately hoping for their death and that they would be killed because of their following of this new way of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And here he was saying, man, you talk about zeal. I was more committed than any of you. And some folks hang their hat on. I go to every service. I'm there when the doors are open. I serve in every aspect. And man, I teach a Sunday school class and I sing in the choir and I do all those things. And those are wonderful things to do. But beloved, those are not the things you need to place your confidence in. Thirdly, he said, I was fastidious. That means meticulous in my living. He's saying, man, I was blameless. If you want to talk about righteousness, which comes by keeping the law, doing everything that the law required, you could look at my life and see me blameless. Beloved, you can't place your faith in labor today. There are a lot of people who believe you can work your way into the kingdom of God. But I'm here to tell you the only way you'll get there today is by way of the cross of Jesus Christ, by way of the blood of the Lamb shed without blemish and without spot and responding to that in faith and repentance. That's the only way anything good's ever going to come into your life today. He says, you can't trust in your lineage. You can't trust in your labor. I love verse 7. He says, I counted. That means this. He did, he did some spiritual arithmetic. The Lord knows I'm terrible at regular arithmetic. Maybe I can be better at spiritual arithmetic. He says, man, I counted up some things. I reckoned. I did a reconciliation. I summed up all I had accomplished, and I compared it to the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what he said. He said, absolutely no contest. He said, Jesus wins by a landslide, no contest. He said, I take all those things that are good and right and healthy and listen, there's nothing wrong with living well and having a good godly heritage. That's what I hope for my children. But he's saying, man, when it comes to Jesus Christ or the things of the flesh, I sum them up and I count them every bit as lost. As a matter of fact, he said, those things I used to place my confidence in, here's that new place of confidence. He says, man, I threw those things out by the wayside, counted them all but lost, counted them as dung, threw them out like garbage compared to Christ and knowing Him. I wrote this down. When we pursue Him, we truly say this, I have no confidence today in a fleshly religion based on a flashy performance. What we're saying is I have a new confidence in a spiritual relationship based on the grace of an almighty God. Church, I believe the Lord is looking for some people who will decide that they're not going to place any confidence in the flesh today. I believe the Lord is looking for a few individuals, a church, if you will, who will say, Father, we'd rather have Jesus than anything our flesh can muster up. We trust you more than we trust ourselves. We know that we have a new place of confidence, something, beloved, that wasn't available before the Lord Jesus Christ and his life-changing work on this planet. He made it possible for us to have confidence 
in a better way. How many of y'all are glad today, and I'm going to give you a chance to shout, that it's not by your righteousness that you live right here and that you'll live throughout all eternity, but it's by the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of y'all can truly say, praise be unto God and thank you, Jesus. I'd rather have his righteousness than that of my own. A new place, if you will, of confidence. What a joy when you begin to understand that it's not about what you do or where you come from. And it's about the Lord Jesus Christ and where he came from and what he did. Man, you begin to live joyfully on this planet. Number two, we don't only have a new place of confidence. We have what I call a new purpose in verses 10 and 11. We have a brand new purpose. Paul says clearly here, I want to know him fully. He says, I want to share in all that he is, every aspect. No stone unturned, nothing held back, no terms and conditions. I want it all. In short, he says, I don't want to miss a thing. If it's out there to do with the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to know it, and I want to experience it. He's saying, that's my purpose. You know, my family and I love to travel uh, to Disney World. We haven't been there in a little bit. I hope we get back before long. There's one particular ride there that my, my daughter loves. It's called Mission Space. How many of y'all ever heard of Mission Space and I admit it in Disney World? It's a, it's a mission to Mars is what it is. And man, you walk in and they strap you in what looks like to be a space shuttle. It's kind of a shuttle simulation. It simulates the launch. And beloved, I'm going to tell you, if, if the shuttle launch is anything like what happens on that ride, I pray for those people every time they ever plan on getting in such a thing as that. It simulates the space flight. It simulates the landing. And by the way, I don't want to spoil it for you, but it is a crash landing. You wouldn't think it to be any other way. I mean, it simulates this crash landing. And man, and it operates. I'm an engineering kind of a thinker. I wonder how they do all this. It operates on a giant centrifuge. That's all it is. If you've ever been in chemistry lab, you know what a centrifuge is. Man, it's something you stick something on the outer edge of it and you turn it just as fast as you can, hoping that some solids will separate from some liquids in there and you'll have something at the bottom of that test tube just simply by spinning it. Now, does it make sense, I'm going to pause right here, to climb on something like that and maybe it separates you? I mean, uh, start to sift you and your blood's in your feet or in your back? I mean, that makes no sense in this world. Beloved, I heard that two people perished on this ride when it first opened, so I approached it with a great deal of caution. I wasn't going to ride it at all. And man, I realized when I got up there that they had two different lines to ride this ride. One of which they call the green line, one of which they call the orange line. You say, what's the difference? The green line doesn't spin. How many of y'all can say hallelujah and thanks be unto God? I said, that's me. I ride this thing on the green. As long as it's not spinning, I, I'm in great shape. Man, and I grabbed my green ticket. My daughter Rachel standing there beside me. She grabbed her orange ticket and she looked over at me and said, Dad, you are the biggest wimp I have ever seen in my life. Then she said another W word that I'm not sure is right to say in church, not a cuss word. But she called me another W word in the line as we were going up, trying to shame me into getting in the orange line. She finally said, if you don't ride this on the orange side, I don't know why you're bothering. There's no need to even get on this ride at all, Dad, if you're not going to ride the side that's spinning. I just kissed her on the cheek, sent her on her way down the orange line, and I got in the green. How many of y'all hear what I'm saying? I was perfectly happy being in the green line. You see what Paul's saying is, as in regard to Jesus Christ, I'm not riding the green side. I'm going to ride the orange side. 
If it's out there to be known and to be experienced, I want it in my life. If there's something out there I can ascertain or grasp in my life of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says to the Lord, man, here I am. I'm at your disposal. I'm available. Nothing is out of bounds in my life. And church, I believe the Lord is looking for a group of people. And when you begin to say he's your spiritual pursuit, you can't say that today unless you're willing to say, Lord, I'm not open to know a little bit about you. I'm open to anything and everything there is to know and anything and everything that you want to do in and through me as your child. Look what Paul says. I want to know his power. He says not only a little of his power, I want to know his resurrection power. Church, how many of y'all would like today to know the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth operating in your life. Man, I would like today not to know a little bit about it, but all the power of God I'd love to see outpoured that's available that my little old flesh can stand. He says, I want to know his power, and we can say amen there. But he says, I also want to know something of his persecution. He says, man, I want to be in the fellowship with him of his suffering. I want to be there for all facets. I want to bear his marks in my body. Didn't Paul say, say, in my body, I bear the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul knew something of what it meant to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've said to you before, I'll say it again today. We as Americans, I don't know that we really know what it means to suffer on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, certainly, there are some things that it costs me to follow him in this country. But, beloved, we're blessed beyond measure because there are places in this world today to say that you follow after the Lord Jesus Christ just might cost you your very life. And Paul said, I am fine with any suffering. As a matter of fact, I want to know what it cost him. I want to have the fellowship of his suffering. How about his passion? He says, man, I want to be made conformable unto his death. Didn't he say in another letter to another little church, I am crucified with Christ right now. I don't live anymore. Nevertheless, Christ, he lives in and through me. He's saying, I'm fine with just dying to myself and everything I ever dreamed and wanted going by the wayside so that I might know the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, I have purposed to know it all about him. And church, let me tell you, when he's your spiritual pursuit, that's what's going to come in your life. He's going to bring a new purpose to you. You're going to say, you know what? It isn't about me anymore. It isn't about what I can gain anymore. It isn't about the dollar anymore. I remember a time in my life when I was chasing all the money I could store up in the bank. And I had all kind of plans for all kind of houses and all kind of cars and all kind of things. And then all of a sudden the Lord Jesus Christ took control of my life. And you know what? Those things just don't matter to me anymore. I want to know Him. Church, He's going to give you a new purpose when you decide that He's your spiritual pursuit. Not only a new place of confidence and a new purpose. Thirdly, I want you to write this down. When He becomes your spiritual pursuit, He gives you what I call a new perspective. Now, in life, you only have one of two perspectives that are available. You have a positive perspective on life. You have what I call a hopeful, a believing, a forward-looking perspective in life. Or number two, you have a negative perspective. It's difficult to dwell anywhere between those two. I mean, it might appear a little gray, but when you get to looking at it, you really see what your perspective is in any given moment. You have a negative perspective. Defeated, that means doubtful. That means backward-looking. That means I'm always looking back at the things that, that used to be and wishing I could go back there and believing that I'm just going 
going to exist on this planet, I guess, the rest of my time. You either have a positive perspective in life or you have a negative perspective toward life. The things you achieve, listen to this, the way you approach every day, the joy that you have in your life and the level of it depends largely on which of these two perspectives you decide to espouse in your life. If you decide to look in a positive way, have you ever been around anybody that, man, the house can be burning down and everything be going wrong, and, man, you think, man, this is the most disastrous situation that could ever happen, and you look at them, and there's a smile on their face, and they're saying, well, it ain't as bad as it looks. Well, we can do this, or, well, the Lord did this, or, well, the God's going to work something out of this. Sometimes those kind of people make me sick, but I envy them. How I many of y'all hear what I'm saying? Hey, hey, I wish I was like them on every hand's turn. You either have a positive perspective in life or a negative perspective. And if you choose to have a positive one, man, I'm going to tell you, you will feel the joy of the Lord become your strength in every circumstance and every situation. Your perspective, I wrote this down, determines the color of every day and the color of every moment in your life. We were riding back one time from a lake down in South Carolina. We passed a little elementary school. Man, it was the most beautiful elementary school I'd ever seen. It was manicured to the nines on the outside. The grass was beautiful. I mean, the landscaping was just right. There was no grass. The sidewalks looked beautiful. The parking lot was freshly paved and freshly striped. I mean, it didn't look like a kid had ever been to school there. Playground looked wonderful. I mean, inviting. I felt like stopping and going down the slide a time or two myself. I mean, it looked, it looked gorgeous. It just caught my eye. And I made the comment, I said, man, look over there, guys. Look at that school. I, I don't think I've ever seen a prettier school in my life. It's just gorgeous. And my youngest daughter from the back seat said, well, Dad, it may look that way on the outside, but they all look the same from the inside, let me tell you that. When you get in there and sit down, all it is is mean old teachers making you do work and, and wasted time when you could be out doing any other thing. All that matters is the perspective, beloved. Are you looking from the outside or the end? And you see today, the perspective you adopt will color every way that you look at every situation. Paul says, man, the Lord has given me a new perspective in my life. He says, man, I've seen this thing from every aspect, and I look at it positively. He described the work of the Lord in him as one of hopeful, one of believing, and one of forward-looking. He says, man, here's what I choose to do by, by as the way of being a blood-bought, born-again child of God. Look in verse 13. He says, man, here's one thing I'm going to do. I'm not going to think about what's behind me anymore. More. I'm not going to look behind me and try to live there. I'm going to forget those things. What did he forget? Well, folks, there's some things in your life you need to forget today if you're going to have a positive perspective. First of all, you need to forget your sin. Let me tell you something. Praise be unto God at the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ dealt with every sin that would ever take place in my life, past, present, and future. I love the words of the song, It is well with my soul. My sin, not in part, the songwriter said, but the hole was nailed to the cross, and I'll bear it no more. So why waste time sitting around thinking about your past sin and your faults? Man, let those things go. How about your shortcomings? How about those failures and flaws in your life? Those things you didn't do or those things you couldn't do. Beloved, you need to leave them in the past. How about your sorrows? How about those desperate, awful moments in your life? You just need to leave those in your past today. And Paul, I believe, even means this. How about my successes for 
that's what he majored on. How about all those things I look at and say, wow, Stace, you really did good in that moment. Wow, you really shine brightly in that moment. You need to look back in your life and forget those successes because those are the things, beloved, that the enemy will use mightily in your life to derail you on your journey with him. Paul says, look, I look back and I forget those things and I choose a new perspective today. I'm going to look forward, forward to the new day. New experiences, new opportunities, new possibilities, new things that God's going to do in my life. Listen to me. When he becomes your spiritual pursuit, you gain a new perspective. Listen to me. Christian folk ought to be the most happy, joyful, positive people on this planet, beloved. We ought to be that. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, in us, and through us. Man, when you choose him as your spiritual pursuit, when you say, I want to know him, some things get new in your life. You start to have a a new place of confidence, a new purpose. You all of a sudden have a a brand new perspective. and, And also Christians are people, which is what I believe I call with a new passion. He says this, and I'm going to talk about this quickly. He says, I press. I press. He says, man, I've got a new passion. I've got a new press in my life. I've got a new thing that I'm straining toward. That is a passionate word, beloved. It's a strenuous word, beloved. It's emblematic, they tell me, of an athlete exerting every effort of a runner, straining with every fiber in his body, pushing toward the finish line, working his hardest, giving his all to the challenge that's set before him, and he's doing it with great joy. Now, I want you to... I want to ask you, isn't this a truth in your life? There's really nothing more satisfying, is there, than knowing you've done your best at something. I mean, to look back and say, you know what? I've given my best. I I gave everything I had. I did the very best I could do in that moment. Man, you you can be satisfied. There's a satisfying feeling that comes with knowing, man, I've, I've laid it all out there. I held nothing back. On the converse, there's nothing much more that disappoints me more deeply than standing in a place knowing that I had an opportunity to do more and I didn't. Or I had an opportunity to give more or be a little bit more unbridled or place a little bit more on the table. And I didn't. Paul's saying, I'm not going to do that. Now listen, when you decide to give all you have and you have that, give that passion and you give the Lord the first place in your life and you begin to pursue Him and press toward Him with every fiber of your being, not everybody's going to be happy about it. I'll just tell you that. I had a guy in my life when I first went in the ministry that was trying to get me to go in business with him. He had a, a great business plan and he was very successful at it. And, man, he had sold me on the fact that this is the way you need to go. Man, you go this way, and things are going to happen good in your life. This was a Christian man, a good man. He was a wonderful follower of the Lord, but he had a business plan in his life. I went to him and said, listen, I I can't do that. I can't do that with you. I wish I could. It sounds like a great plan, nothing against it, but I'm telling you, i got to do something different in my life. And he said, what is it? I said, the Lord's calling me to preach. And, man, there's no way I can be involved in this and do what he wants me to do in the ministry. There's no way I can do this halfway. There's no way I can give half myself to that. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going just gonna to follow after him hard. I thought he'd be delighted. He looked me in the eye and he said these words to me. Well, that's just great news. That's great news. You, 
becoming a preacher. Great. He cut me, man. I thought, wow. I thought he'd be happy. Let me tell you, not everybody in your life is going to be tickled to death. When you say, listen, I'm just going to follow hard after him. I'm going to follow him. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to give him everything that I have. What he's called me to do, I'm going to pursue. Man, it really was great news. He didn't know what he was saying. He was saying it rather sarcastically, but he didn't understand. It really was great news in my life. It was the greatest news that could have ever come to me. It was the best thing that ever could have happened. I'm going to tell you, the Lord in 20 years has blessed me more deeply and richly. He has taken me more places, allowed me to experience more things, allowed me to see and have more of Him than I ever dreamed possible. See, really, it wasn't about me becoming a preacher. It was about me pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ and His call in my life. And you may not be called to be a preacher. You may be called to be something vastly different for the Lord on this planet. But, beloved, hear me and hear me well. Whatever it is the most advantageous and joyous thing you'll ever do in your life is begin to pursue the call of God with all your might and all your strength. It might have been for him to to pursue that business plan and I hope that it was and I hope that he's happy in it. I'm here to tell you God has given you something of him to know today and you oughtn't to settle until you press to know every little bit about it on your journey. On this planet, man, a a person pursuing the Lord has a brand new passion in his life. You need to get busy. You say, where can I get involved, Pastor? What can I do? Man, this week we're going to have vacation Bible school. We could sure use you right here. I'm just here to tell you that. If you have a passion or a call at all to being involved in the lives of kids, we can use you here. We need tour guides. We need a lot of other things to happen. We usually have around 200 kids here. It's an exciting time, and you don't want to miss it. Get involved in a fellowship and Bible study class. Man, it's more than just Sunday morning. It's a ministry opportunity for your life. It's a way the Lord can use your gifts and talents to sow into the lives of other people. It's a group that you can fellowship with. How about worship? Man, come. Be a part of the choir. Be here and worship Sunday morning, Sunday night. How about missions? We've got three different groups on the field. One of them out in the parking lot. Two of them overseas. We've got all kinds of opportunities coming this year. How about giving some God may have blessed some of you just to be able to be deep givers of His. And I challenge you today not to give within your means, but to press beyond that place where you're comfortable. If God's called you to be such a giver, do it in your life. I promise you, it'll bring you more joy and satisfaction than any other thing could on this planet. Christians and people pursuing Him are people with a brand new passion. Fifthly, and I want to close with this thought. I love this thought. We have a a brand new prospect. Christians are a people with a brand new prospect. Look in verse 14 with me. He says, I press for sure. But what did he say? I press not arbitrarily, but what? Toward the, the mark for the prize, he says. I love that word. Of the high calling of God caught up. In the Lord Jesus Christ. The prize, man, at the end of this road, we're prospecting. We're turning shovelfuls of dirt. Man, if you've, if you've been awake lately at all, you understand that prospecting is in vogue nowadays. I mean, everybody's prospecting. It's on TV, Gold Rush, anywhere from the Yukon to the South American jungles, all, all the way to Greenland. There's even one called Ice Cold Gold, where they go up into Greenland and try to beat the ice to pull 
gold and rubies out of the ground, prospectors. And I believe people by nature are prospectors, always looking for something down the road, always looking for a payoff. And man, what we ought to be as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is what I call prospectors, always looking with expectation, always wondering what's around the bend, always pressing toward that mark, the prize that is awaiting us there. There are some commentators who who will say, I believe that this prize is this high calling of God is, is literally could be called an upward calling. They're saying, I'm pressed toward the upward calling. The high calling could literally mean the upward calling. And man, what an image to think about. That one of these days, I'll, I'll receive an upward calling from the Lord Jesus Christ. That one of these days, the Lord Jesus Christ himself will return and step out on a handful of clouds. And there, he'll give me an upward call. He'll say, come up here to all those who belong to him. And what does the word say, man? Those of us who are alive in that moment and remain on this planet will be caught up together in the clouds there to meet the Lord in the air. What a thought. I'm here to tell you. I believe that day's closer than it ever has been. I was at the hospital this past Friday with a a wonderful, uh, two wonderful people just, oh, Lord shines in and through every aspect of their life. They had a dear sister there watching after them and visit them. She and I got to talking a little bit about the world and the state of affairs and the things that are going on and the challenge that faces the church. And, and man, it would have been easy to get down. And she smiled real big and she said, man, that doesn't bother me, Pastor. None of those things bother me. None of those things that are going on in the world make me scared today. All that does is make me more excited because what it does is tell me that my Lord and my Savior is close to His return. And she said, Pastor, I look with anticipation every morning when I get up thinking, today might be the day that I see my Lord and my Savior face to face. What a thought that just around the next corner, just under the next shovel full of dirt, there might be the return of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm here to tell you, church, I'm looking with great anticipation. My prospects are not dim on this planet. They're bright on another planet. For you see, my conversation's not here. It's in heaven where I look for the return of the Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. How many of y'all today, I'm going to give you one opportunity to stand to your feet and shout with all your might, could say, Pastor, I am excited about the prospect that one of these days my Lord and my Savior is returning. Is there anybody in the house but me? It's happy about that this morning. How can you sit still? How can you be still in your midst when what you are pursuing is just around the corner, beloved? How can you do it? How can you do it? I don't believe you can if the Lord Jesus Christ is really your spiritual pursuit. The only time that doesn't excite me is when the things of this world have my attention above the things of that world. What does it mean to have him as your spiritual pursuit? Man, I'm going to tell you, it begins to define you. You realize that you're not of this world. You're covenant people. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're heirs and joint heirs with the King of Kings. It begins to make a dynamic difference in your life. It gives you a new place of confidence, a new purpose, a new perspective, a new passion. And beloved, a new prospect. 
I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want to ask you this question. And I want you to answer it from the depths of your soul today. Is he your spiritual pursuit? Is he? Can you honestly say today, you know what, pastor? Uh, listen, you say I can't, you can't enjoy life. and in, No, the whole point of this is to have a, a joyful existence. Jesus said, I came here that you might have life. And he wasn't talking about waiting until heaven. He was talking about right now. Listen, I have, some, I have the most joyous existence on this planet that everybody could even hope to have, man. God has blessed me, pressed down, heaped up, and overflowing. So I'm not here today to try to make you feel guilty about enjoying life on this planet. Matter of fact, I'm here to do the opposite. To say, man, you ought to enjoy life. You ought to have a joyful existence. I'm just here to tell you, you'll never have it unless he's your spiritual pursuit. It's funny that when you begin to hold the things of this world loosely, you begin to enjoy them all the more. It's funny to me that when I begin to pursue him more heartily, and try to forget my cares and the things that are going on and the circumstances of this world, that all of a sudden my life and those circumstances I'm in begin to get better and improve. Is it your spiritual pursuit? Man, if you want to have joy, today you better in your heart say, Father, would you help me? Man, I want to be like Paul today. I want to know you. Intellectually, I want to know you. Experientially, I, I want to know you. I want you to be the thing that I'm after in my life. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.